Hi there, plant fans. Welcome to Kiss My Grass, a podcast by Chantal Davidson. Each episode, I talk about plant chemistry and the amazing feats of their molecules. Hi there, plant fans. It's almost Christmas, and well, who doesn't love a good dramatic story? <laughs> a plant mystery story. Well, sit back and relax and see if you can use the clues to figure out which plant will save the day. Okay, here we go. The setting is mid-18th century France, and my main character, Anne Marguerite Duran III, is in a desperate situation. Now, she has done some great things in her young life before, but even this seems like too much to bear. 4. On the evening of July 13, 1788, Anne's dream world was torn apart by a terrible crash. She was jolted awake and up. Had she been having a nightmare? Is this a nightmare? She was damp. Perhaps her thoughts were off, linking her dreams of consciousness and dream state together. Stuck somewhere between the incoherent world of imagination and the harsh reality of life. While her thoughts swam adrift, there were more crashes, thudding, pounding, like an angry man at the door, yet on her sturdy stone roof booming noises, demanding her brain be fully present in this moment. Her senses didn't know what to make of it. She was chilled and the air seemed heavy. Yet it was just midsummer. Soon her babies were crying out for her in the dark, noisy night. She struggled to get her lantern lit and go comfort her crying children. Anne's next thought turns to her husband's bakery. He would be downstairs by now, preparing the dough for today's townspeople. For weeks, they'd been lining up hours at a time to buy what little bread he could produce. The waiting was stealing time away from their own labors, just to prolong their starvation. She was convinced that the hungry people of her town had turned to violence. Was she under attack? Were they now throwing stones at her home? Why in the middle of the night? Perhaps they were possessed with starving hallucinations. No. Thankfully, Anne was not under attack from the townspeople. Anne was under attack from a violent and devastating hailstorm. In fact, during the night of July 13, 1788, the townsman Arthur Young reported, Hail fell as large as a quart bottle, killing people, macerating crops, and destroying trees, and no doubt wreaking havoc on Anne's stone roof. Anne gathered her children, and they rushed below to the safety of the bakery. They waited out the storm in the warm kitchen. They were lucky, but what would be left of the town come morning? While they waited, their thoughts were filled with memories. Utterly baffled by this midsummer storm, Anne and her husband Huguet recounted the strangeness of weather which had dominated their childhood. When they were young children, drought had terribly affected the region. Wheat harvests failed year after year. What little wheat that did grow could no longer be ground into flour because the surviving trickling stream that once was a mighty flowing river could no longer push the wheels to grind the grains. These years of hardship drove their once prosperous families into poverty. For generations, their families had been in the meteor's company of bakers, but now they were nearly peasants. 
When Anne was a small child, she was fortunate that her grandmother had the noble family, the Lafayettes, as their regular patrons. They were kind and well-known Parisian aristocrats. They could always afford to buy wheat for their father to bake bread, especially for them. Anne's father would often secretly keep a loaf or two of this bespoken bread to feed precious little Anne. On many occasions during Anne's childhood, Anne accompanied her mother and grandmother to help the housemen of the Lafayettes prepare large feasts for visiting guests. Men from the American colonies were often in attendance. The nobles enjoyed a bounty of food that was off limits to Anne's social status. Anne's family was forced to harvest from the trees and marshes to survive. The Duran women were the caretakers of their community. They used their family knowledge to help bring healing plants to the people in need. All these years later, now it was Anne's turn to care for her aging mother, even through this terrible storm. When daylight pierced through the clouds at dawn, Anne and Huguet were greeted to the utter destruction of their town. Ice the size of bricks had fallen from the sky and killed many beasts and crops in the ground. Yet they pressed on with what little wheat they could get. Cold weeks turned into cold, cold months. Anne and her family managed to hang on to life with their knowledge of foraging wild roots that most would not eat, and knowing where to find the little vines too thin to care about the dangers of falling ice. The winter that followed that year was one in the worst of France's history. In 1788 to 89, from late November to March, much of her town suffered from constant freezing and snow. In fact, in even more southern Paris, there were a straight 57 days of frost. It is said that in Paris, barrels of wine turned into icy slush. Not even strong spirits could warm their bodies. Soon, Anne and Huguet found their bakery a place of refuge for many of the townspeople. With the wheat gone, he was no longer baking bread. Yet he kept his fires running while warming anyone that came in with anything they could burn. People brought twigs, even books furniture to help keep them alive. Their cellars were nearly bare by the end of winter, yet the rich in Paris still feasted on pheasants and fowls. When the cold snap finally broke in late January and February of 1789, thawing ice and snow caused rivers and streams and canals to swell and burst their bank, turning struggling riverside crops into mush. Yet for all the misery of the countryside, Paris still demanded to be fed. Anne and her people were desperate. Even in Paris, rebellion was in the air. The rich were importing cereals and grains from distant countries. They enjoyed their feast, while the countrymen starved. The nobles knew not the pains of hunger, for their money kept their cellars full. One evening, early in the season, the sun was heavy in the sky, and the chill of the night had not yet set in. Anne's mother brought her a small box from her trunk. She recognized this box immediately, her grandmother's old recipes. She sat astonished to see that some of these were nearly 50 years old. It seemed like yesterday she was at her side, mixing and mashing. Anne sorted through these many loose pieces of paper, looking for dishes that would fit her humble provisions of the day, when she found the answers to her prayers. Now, this particular recipe has its roots a long way back. Anne didn't know it at the time, but even the ancient Egyptians, 
Persians and Chinese had a similar version. However, it was her clever grandmother all those years ago who changed it for the world. She combined her plant and culinary knowledge into a recipe that would finally put food on the table for the Durans and her desperate town. The best part about this recipe? The secret ingredient was now growing abundantly in the soggy fields too wet for men to plow, the marsh land. Okay, let's take a break here. Has anyone guessed the plant yet? I just gave you a super big clue. Okay, we'll carry on. The next morning, Anne and her mother set their plan into motion. They traveled into Paris to visit their family friend, Marquise de Lafayette. While he was born and inherited his father's noble ancestry, he was a man of the people. He fought alongside the Americans in their revolution, and he supported religious freedoms and wanted to abolish slavery. Anne was confident that he would help them. When Marquise came to the door, he had indeed remembered when Anne Marguerite Durand II had cooked for him as a boy. But this visit was more than just a social call. They were not here to catch up. No, they were entrepreneurs and they were looking for an investor. Anne the senior had reminded him of the sweet treat that she would sometimes prepare when he was a boy. Pate de Guamavave. He searched his memory for a minute before a warm smile came to his face. Ah, now he remembered that fluffy, stretchy, pliable bite of sweet clouds. She would always sneak him a serving or two. They were unlike anything the home confectioners could make. She proposed she could bring these unique clouds to his next dinner party for free. He could impress his guests with such rarities. If he would supply five pounds of sugar, three dozen eggs, and be allowed to take orders should his guests request more for themselves. Anne Marguerite Durand I had discovered long ago that the well-established herbal remedy for cough, the powerful partially dried sap from the roots of marshmallow bush, would turn from a gooey mess into a lozenge if she folded it over and over into itself, similar to the way that self-water taffy is made. But then, instead of this tough, chewy finish, she experimented with beating it and folding egg whites and sugar into the sappy mess, the way she would with meringue, relentlessly mixing it until it was the color of milk. Next, she would scoop it out on a board and leave it to dry for a day. Sure, the process took a total of four full days of complicated labor and culinary timing to produce, but this sweet treat was like nothing anyone had ever experienced. And that, my friends, is how the marshmallow was born, from sap to fluff. Yes, Marquise and his guests did in fact enjoy these novel, light, and chewy confections. By nights in, the Durands were in business. Anne Marguerite Durand III gathered many of the local women and headed to the banks of the flooded fields and got to work harvesting marshmallow roots. They were dried in bulk and boiled to release their sap, then beaten with eggs and sugar, just like the way her grandmother did it, to form soft, foamy peaks, finely dried, cut, powdered, and packaged, then taken to the homes of the nobles for a very hefty price turning Anne's marshy land into confectionery gold. I hope you enjoyed this story of female perseverance, cleverness, entrepreneurship, and herbalism. 
while many of the historical events were accurate, including the weather, the Lafayettes, the invention and rise of popularity of marshmallow treats, unfortunately Anne and her family were merely my fictional characters. But wait, we're not done. You know me. I want to know, what can marshmallow root do for your skin? Don't you? Well, first of all, the name says a lot about this plant. It is of the mallow plant and it grows best in marshes. It needs and likes a lot of water. Because of this, the roots are sappy, the leaves are soft, and the flowers are delicate. Everything about this plant oozes moisture, and that's exactly what it will do for the skin. Marshmallow root is an excellent moisturizer, but that is not its plant chemistry bonus. Here is the scientific explanation of its plant chemistry bonus, and I shall quote it first and then explain after. Here we go. The extract of the marshmallow root stimulates phagocytosis and the release of oxygen radicals and leukotrienes from human neutrophils. This in turn cascades the release of interleukin-6 and tumor necrosis factor, thus demonstrating their powerful mechanism of action for anti-inflammatory activity. Okay, let me translate. Not only is the marshmallow extract a fabulous moisturizer, it is also highly anti-inflammatory and cellular DNA supportive chemistry, meaning it can help heal damaged skin cells themselves. This occurs through the step-by-step -step process of cellular chemical release that I just mentioned. In fact, one really cool study found that marshmallow root extract will be a great tool to use for people battling UV-induced skin cancer. Huh, I could really use some of this. In this study, they grew some human skin cells in a petri dish. Ugh, I just hate imagining when they do that. <laughs> then they exposed them to UV radiation. Some skin cells were treated with aloe, some with marshmallow, and some with evening primrose. Interesting. Well, all three of these plants help reduce the amount of inflammation in the skin cells versus the one with no intervention. Only the marshmallow extract had DNA protective properties meaning it could potentially be used to help prevent skin cancer in those after sun exposure. Dang, that's pretty cool because DNA damage is what causes skin cancer from UV rays. Now, I bet you wanna know, am I formulating with marshmallow root extract? Well, no, not currently, but after learning about its super cool plant chemistry, I think I could find it a home amongst my ingredients. <laughs> Stay tuned for updates on that in the future. Well, there you have it. Let's recap. Dehydrated marshmallow root has been used for thousands of years as a cough suppressant, then turned candy, and then again reinvented itself into useful for skincare. <laughs> but guess what else? There is another plant root that follows the same path. Cough suppressant to candy to skincare. <laughs> you should check out my uh, licorice root extract video on YouTube. You can head it over there by just searching for Trace Cakeys. And if you're interested in any of the studies I mentioned, I will link them in the description below. All right, see you next time, plant fam. Bye.